We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia where this podcast was recorded and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi there, I'm Daniel Moore and you're listening to Season 3 of the Hearing Architecture Podcast, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. At the moment, we're talking to architects about what their clients get beyond their finished project and what architects get beyond their fee and awards on the shelf. Our guest in this episode is Rossi Karunas, who is a registered architect, principal at Rossi Architects, and at the time of this recording was the president of the Australian Institute of Architects Northern Territory Chapter. Rossi shares his experience of working on the Darwin Middle School Multipurpose Hall, where he developed a strong working relationship with basically everyone who formed the project team. You'll hear about how he worked with all the teachers before they started designing, the consultant team who helped create a complex architectonic expression and really great ventilation system, and also his relationship with the school's principal who became an advocate for the project and helped everyone achieve the high goals they'd set for themselves. Let's jump in. All right. G'day, Rossi. Thank you so much for for joining me on the Hearing Architecture podcast. It's really wonderful to have you. How are you going up there? Daniel, we are fantastic as usual. Another day in paradise up in Darwin. So um, blue skies with a hint of cloud, but um, we are... We're pretty blessed to be up here and um, enjoying our warm weather and our, our winter, which is still 30-odd degrees. But, um, yeah, so it's been yeah, it's, it's a nice time of the year too. May kind of leads into the, the nice, fresher, dry season. So um, when you guys get a bit of cold weather down there, we hope for a nice southerly to come up to Darwin and push some of that cold air up our way. So, um, but yeah, a, a fresh morning for us is... 20 degrees or 18 degrees and that's that's a good that's a very good oh, so, god you're rubbing it in now i think that's a <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah this um I, I keep doing that to my southern friends and, and colleagues and um, they say stop rossi stop awesome all right well it's really great to have you on on the podcast because you're part of a theme where we're going to be talking about the wonderful relationships that architects have had with their clients and what what results have been born from these relationships Did you want to share with us one of the projects where the results came out of having a fantastic relationship? I believe the first one, I think, is the Darwin Middle School Multipurpose Hall, working alongside Marcus Dixon and his uh, senior team out of the middle school. I think that was an amazing experience. I, I don't want to be the person always to say that the model always starts with trying to befriend the client. I think the idea of my approach is to know that I'm on the client side to start off with, and, and it's about that whole journey together. I'm not one of those finish a project or, or start something and then uh, and just cut and run. It's it's a journey for me, and that's a that's a model across the whole my whole practice and the team in in the office understand that we are relationship a relationship building practice. So, the multi-purpose hall was a great experience. I think what it was was a group of like-minded educators providing an opportunity for a consultant to really shine and to really perform under a great brief as well as create a opportunity to make a landmark statement to the education precinct of Bulliki Point 
and create this opportunity for what I'd say is a, um, a statement of intent for the school. The school really has a, a strong physical education program and they've got a very strong drama and uh, health program. So these needed to be reinforced stronger through the school. They had spaces for them and they were co-sharing the Oval and co-sharing other bits and pieces with the Darwin High School on the co-shared site on the Bodicky Point Education Precinct. But I think it was one of those those moments where they, they said to themselves, no, part of the master plan, I think Darwin Middle School's mission is to stand on their own two feet and deliver their own curriculum under their own roof. So that created an opportunity and obviously um, through the tendering process through NTG, we we got the opportunity to come up with the concept and vision for the project and then continue on to document and and finalise the project and follow it through the construction process. Fantastic. So I think it's really important that you mentioned, you know, that you were getting the client on side from the the get-go and that your relationship building. What do you try to put in place early on so that you don't just have to say to the client, you know, trust me? I think it's a bit to do with personality and I think is the body language. When you enter the room and you can read the room, you understand straight away what kind of client group you got. And, you know, I think it, it took me all of three minutes to understand that this team wanted the best outcome for their school. So it was infectious and it came on to me and then my infectious nature of being excited about a project and, and, and instilling that excitement amongst the team and all the stakeholders came out as well. So it became a, a really good two-way street where we were bouncing off ideas, um, the excitement levels were commensurate to each other and um, I think their, their idea of and their foresight was a really refreshing to me. So it created this opportunity to say, okay, well, they're going forward, they're, they're, they're thinking about this, they're thinking about that, and go, okay, it's great just to latch on and just jump on the on the bandwagon with them as well. But at the same time, I had to impose that energy as well from myself. But I think that the real telltale signs are is understanding the room, understanding the environment that you're working with. And then some clients are more gated to start off with. And slowly, slowly from one meeting to the next, it starts to break down in a good way. And that gave me the opportunity to to instantly hit the ground running, start really good, positive dialogue from the get-go, no like hidden gems through the process. It, always, it was all a transparent process. And I think that's how the success of the project started from that first meeting. The tone was set. And then from there, I think it just grew stronger and stronger and stronger. It got to the point where, you know, even though it, it wasn't um, undermining, but, but I would say there was a process through government, the government department that runs the projects, acts as the representative, and then the government department manages the client group, which is the school. But there were moments where the client group could feel they could call direct and have a quick chat. And, and that dialogue is important as well because those little anecdotes through the project, I think, are the success as well. And just understanding everyone's thinking process because you can't get that off a first meeting sometimes. You need to just carry out that journey and say, okay, you know what, this will be really important to the project. Just have a think about that. And then slowly, slowly that gets kind of threaded through, you know. So some clients are really good at providing a robust brief, but sometimes um, some clients just provide the framework to the brief and slowly, slowly we fill in the gaps as well. 
And that's not a bad thing either because we're taking the journey together to fill in those gaps. Yeah, it's it's amazing how important the brief is in a project when people might assume that because it's one of the, the earliest documents, there's going to be so much figured out along the way. But it's the it's the margins that can uh, keep people uh, pointed at the right target as well. That's right. It's that kind of the greater vision. Yeah. It's that, it's that kind of uh, the end, end game and to understand everyone knew what the end game was. So it was that race to that end game to say, okay, we got there. And this is how we got there and this is how we got those results as well. So Yeah. Well, I think that's also a really important thing that you mentioned before about how this project was about setting a, a bit of a vision for what the opportunity could be for this school. What did you put into the process to make sure that you could design something to really give this school a facility that could allow their students to, to shine on a, on a whole other level? So there's two parts of that response. I would say the first part was assessing the site and the school itself and understanding the, the nuts and bolts of how the health and uh, sports ed curriculum was run, how the drama and music curriculum was run, and understand that they were working out of all these nooks and crannies and understanding where they were storing basketball equipment, where they were storing uh, large athletic equipment, and just understanding how... It was all there, but it was very dysfunctional and very disconnected. So understanding your context first, understanding at Darwin Middle School, understanding what was happening at Darwin High School was a good start. But I think what informed our decisions was a very positive research trip that we did with the school and the government representatives where we went down to Perth. And um, Perth has got a kind of urban sprawl happening at the moment. They're going north and south along a ribbon of highway where they're building suburbs left and right of that main freeway. So it was a good opportunity to actually see some recently built schools with drama facilities, with uh, sporting facilities and the like. They'll never these hybrid buildings together because our multi-purpose hall has this drama and theatre space and also a sports space in one. But we got to see and got to have real conversations with the educators that were actually delivering courses there. So as part of this research tour, the people at the school, were they quite fundamental to making sure that this project had that goal fixed in place? Daniel, I believe the, the people at the school and the people we met on that tour were very critical to the conversation. The whole idea about understanding and listening is a, is, is a cornerstone to our approach. We consult with a range of stakeholders and most recently a mix of Indigenous and non-Indigenous stakeholders where our fundamental approach needs to start by us sitting back, zipping our mouths and listening to what they have to say and listening to all the anecdotes and all the little stories that come along with it. Because those projects in Perth were fresh as well, so there was a lot of instant lessons learnt that already happened with them. So that lessons learned trickled down quite fluidly because um, those educators had only been in those spaces for at least one to two years. They were quite fresh, those builds. So um, we found there was an opportunity there to really tease out the lessons learned. Typical for schools, one of those lessons learned, which most educators, if they're hearing right now, will probably be laughing So is storage that's like the the biggest the uh, the biggest catchphrase in, in in looking at schools is storage 
where do they put their stuff? Where does it all go? And obviously, you know, you can't build a big warehouse storeroom that's going to be attached to this little uh, <laughs> multi-purpose hall, but it's just being about being smart about it and understanding where the budget can be pushed to allow for more and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, little idiosyncrasies about how they manage the drama space to the back of house, to the green room, all those little things started to make sense. I come from a a music background myself, so I understood quite a bit of uh, staging, sound and lighting. But when it came to a production, how the workflow from putting on a production from the back of house to the front of house and all those kind of idiosyncrasies and how they work was very important on that trip. And um, doing it with a client group, that was the most important as well because it wasn't secondhand information. I was relaying back to the to the clients and to my staff because I took a staff member with me as well. So coming back to Darwin, we were swapping stories and swapping little anecdotes as well. And obviously we, we had million one of photos of, of all the different sites we looked at. So it gave us a good fundamental foundation to the project to start formulating the brief and start putting pen to paper to understand this is the way we're going to move forward. So things like um, robustness and um, fit for purpose and us architects, we like to really explore materiality, but at the same time, sometimes simple solid materials just shine in those type of instances because now what works and a lot of the discussions were on tried tested solutions but at the same time it became a um, an opportunity to see the lessons learned as well so we'd see it a basketball court and there'd be a lot of dings in this feature material and like well i don't know why they use that material you're looking at it straight away going there's a big problem here you know so and that that gave us the cautious step as well in our um, in our thinking as well so yeah. And who was uh, instrumental in that school that you had to communicate with to get, I guess, that client group to understand what you were trying to achieve? I would focus that on Marcus Dixon, the principal of Darwin Middle School. Marcus was innovative and instrumental in pushing for excellence. His push for excellence was this infectious vibe on the project that that kept swirling around and everyone felt that they had an obligation from that to say you know we need to work harder we need to push the boundaries we need to create this statement as as they they said at the beginning that this statement is important but also the the statement of intent from the school as a as a school uh was important you know um and um the proof is in the pudding at the moment you know the amount of productions that are happening out of the theatre space, the amount of community and school events that are happening out of the sports hall is a testament to the facility. So I I think it's a good outcome. And um, an indoor sports hall in Darwin during the the warmer months is actually quite a uh, good opportunity for those youngsters to actually um, enjoy a bit of physical activity while not melting out in the sun and humidity. So I think it was just... (laughs) It's just, it was a no-brainer outcome for the for the school in general. So, Fantastic. So when it came to working with the principal, what was that process like when it came to, say, you might have been getting some prices back and seeing what that was looking like against the original budget? How did you two work through those moments? So uh, when it came to the contractual side, um, I was dealing with the, the government uh, representatives and they 
manage those expectations a bit more and relay that back to Marcus. Marcus was aware of it and we were in most meetings with him to discuss, but um, at the same time as us architects who are the specialists and are the consultants that manage the costings of a build, it it is a uh, backwards and forwards process sometimes. Um, I think we got to, I think it was 75 or 80% of the project and we needed to trim a little bit, but it wasn't trimming of... Um, floor area maybe a couple of minor spots here and there but it was nothing that was going to be really affecting the outcome of the school i think a bit of the external embellishments were trimmed back and, and paired back a little bit just to bring it all on target for you know because the government you know, we won't go out to tender unless they were you know we're on on target with our budget at that time of of tendering on that project in um, around 2018, I believe it was a um, it was a competitive market, so we actually um, we did quite well managing the budget. But at the same time, managing the expectations of the government department and Marcus needs to be a very transparent process as well. So the dialogue with Marcus and, and making Marcus understand that this is just a commercial reality was the um, important component to that because then Marcus can just turn and say, Rossi, I think, yes, I understand. I trust your decision. Yeah, let's let's move forward. Through that process, there was a bit of, I would say, minor, minor sacrifices that maybe could have, came out of the external aesthetic outcome due to cost control. But um, I think the overall outcome um, still far exceeds my expectations on the project. And um, you know, living and walking around it, I think it's um, one of those outcomes and buildings where. I was just proud to be involved and proud that the outcome achieved and exceeded their goals. Mm. And I think I think that's when um, it can be amazing where a client's expectations of excellence can be realised and where it also aligns with the architect and that when you come through those cost correction or value management processes, whatever bar you've set yourself for excellence, that that hasn't been lost so even even though there might have been some external treatments that were that were taken out, what do you think were the great results that um, that you and Marcus were were extremely happy with? I think that um, the general planning of the hall and its location adjacent to the school, um, we always wanted to this this courtyard feel between the new hall and the existing school. So that was a good outcome, and we're just counting the days until those trees grow to fruition. And create beautiful shade and, and and this urban space between the building itself we played very hard with the aesthetic appeal we tried to harness a design philosophy our architectonic philosophy that had some sort of substance and reference so you know i was walking around there like a crazy person one afternoon trying to think how we're going to draw some inspiration to this building because the, the pure mass of the multi-purpose hall is quite large and quite imposing. So once we did just a massing study, I was like, oh, you know, I got some shivers. <laughs> I thought to myself, okay, we, we need to really work on, work on the scale and uh, you know, bring this down to a bit more of a human level as much as we can. So um, I started walking around the site, even at the Darwin High School site, because that whole whole precinct um, has quite a beautiful history um, and it dawned on me I, I actually took reference in, uh, in a historical sense 
and referenced the old abattoir structures and buildings that were on the site, and they used this north point or uh, sawtooth roof form and started playing with um, those thoughts. And the outcome was that um, we kind of extrapolated this idea of the sawtooth roof as this secondary roof that, that lowered the eyes a bit to a smaller scale. And then um, obviously, because we had all these other constraints that forced us to make sure that we had plenty of ceiling height in the sports hall to comply with certain standards. And uh, yeah, so going with those going with those uh, elements on the exterior really created this narrative. And that narrative is that reference, not to say that I have to stand there and, and, and describe that narrative every time someone visits the building, but it's one of those things that um, creates a point of difference and also it gets the visitor inquisitive about why those sawtooth roofs are, are like what they are and the tree-like columns and all those kind of elements that we, we took one layer and another layer and another lens of things over the top. So it was um, a, a composition of ideas. So, um, yeah, and no, it was a, a good opportunity to really push ourselves, subject and commensurate to the budget, obviously, and push our boundaries as much as we can. But I think the architectonics did play a strong role, but obviously just the general planning and the and the basic function of how to deliver a sports space and a theatre space and how they work as well. So the building's almost like a little transformer as well. So what happens actually is um, the main basketball hall acts as a main assembly hall and the theatre that's standing on, off, on its side can actually open up and become the stage to the hall as well but in another guise that's all the doors shut down another door can open between the two small theaters and become a large theater space and becomes this uh, opportunity for a season performances and that was the catalyst to how we laid everything out to make sure that they could deliver a large format performance a large school assembly gathering and then smaller intimate components as well like um community group dance practice and, also, and, and school dance practice and band practice, a couple of PE classes going at one time, and, and then a couple of classrooms just off to the side of that as well. So, And the whole idea is that it's flowing really well as well. The other element to it I think was really important was because the building stands alone and runs off its own air conditioning unit, there's the ability to shut that all down and open up the doors and have an open air facility as well. So we, we introduced a lot of high-end louver-upable windows. We used um, some big airport doors that open up to one side. So in a nice dry season month in Darwin, that could reduce their cost of air conditioning by running the hall at a really low load. And we actually included some big-ass fans inside there as well. So all of a sudden, the hall becomes this... Um, passively called, well, with a bit of mechanically called fans, um, space. And, um, and the teachers uh, seem to enjoy it. And all the operations of all those doors are quite easy to do and easy to use. So and those thoughts were another layer, um, making sure that the, the staff can deliver their curriculum in the right way. So understanding how the staff interact with the, the, the students and how the staff can deliver the best curriculum possible for the space that we provide them. So we're, we're essentially providing that blank canvas. And I'll say this to a lot of people when we speak about education, architecture, 
we, we need brave people if they're going to go along this modern line of education, uh, but it needs to be followed through. We can provide you that blank canvas, but it's the educators that need to follow through and take advantage of those spaces and, uh, and make sure that the, uh, they can deliver at that high standards every time. Absolutely. Well, I guess that's, it's a, it's a simple word, you know, multi-use, <laughs> multi-use building. But then when you actually talk through what you just, what you just described in terms of all of the functions that the building has to have, I mean, it can, it can feel like a, a nightmare in terms of trying to make sure that they can all work together and potentially multiple uses at the same time without negatively impacting each other. When you're going through that client consultation period, you know, where you're probably liaising with PE teachers, drama teachers, band teachers, and talking through all this complexity about the functions of the actual space, was there a point where Marcus was also your touch point for the large group of people that you had to work with and, and talk with during that process? Daniel, I think Marcus is really good at empowering his staff empowering his team so um marcus whenever he has a broad brush idea he won't admit to be an expert on it but you will understand that he's got specialist team members in his crew that can provide that additional information so i i commend him on i commend him on that because it, it created an opportunity for his leadership team in those different departments at uh, sports drama, music, to really um, take ownership and to be part of the development of this of this space. So um, working with the PE teachers, understanding storage requirements, understanding visual uh, control, understanding the various curriculum that they deliver, then looking and speaking with the, the drama teachers and the music teachers, understanding how they deliver a theatre, how they deliver general class time, which is whether it's dance, whether it's music. So I think it, it was definitely a team effort and Marcus's proactive approach empowered his leadership team to um, really shine and provide that opportunity to have their voice. He never took a, a benevolent attitude whether he tried to be, he think he knew the greater good. He knew the greater vision, but he also, the empowerment of his staff further put that icing on the cake to, to get to achieve that um, that outcome. And that working group was a refreshing uh, opportunity because they were also like-minded like Marcus as well. So I think Marcus is very infectious and he brought that out of them as well. So um, everyone wasn't shy to have, have their say and discuss when it was their turn to discuss their, their side of things, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Well, when you've got that many people working who are going to end up using that space and working in that space, was it part of this process to sort of break down the the hierarchy between the architect and the client as well, where there was opportunity to to give them the pen a little bit, or was it still more of a consultative approach? Oh no, I, I believe every now and then a client's going to get the pen and and squiggle and 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 do a bit of a brain dump, and that's that's understandable because some clients better describe things in a in a diagram rather than words and, and vice versa. Some are very articulate in their words and can't draw to save their lives and whatever, you know. So it's one of those yeah, it's one of those things. So, you know, I think out of that group, I think we got two or three sketches 
but it was more like just describe it was that dialogue that we're already having in the room as we're going through it all it wasn't something that we went back to the office we're just working all of a sudden a sketch comes through an email saying i want this it was never like that it was more i was kind of thinking of this and they would show me and they go i understand what you're saying now and 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 then the, the you know the jigsaw puzzle starts to get closer to goes together you know so no, I think that sounds that sounds really good, and that uh, the door was always open um, for for those sorts of conversations to to happen. Always, yeah. And what happened after the clients moved into this new space? Oh, we call those Persian carpets, you know. <laughs> so, um, you know, do, do you see any Persian carpets just hanging about in the in the building? And I'll be honest, and that and as that's the honesty in me and the, the that I. I do understand that, you know, we're not going to be perfect at everything, but there are going to be instances where the thought process could have you know, drilled down a little bit more, a simple thing. And there was a funny thing, a, a, a colleague of mine sent me a text and uh, we've got trusses that run through the sports hall. And um, she sent a text and says, Rossi, did you ever think about where how the balls get down from when they get stuck up in the trusses? <laughs> And I was like, no, no. <laughs> Short of putting those pigeon those pigeon things that they, they put on the top of beams in these public spaces, it was very hard to resolve. And I was like, oh, you know, we wanted this exposed structure, you know, to celebrate the structure as well and keep the, the ceiling as high as possible. But not in my wildest dreams that I think that a middle school student could kick a ball nine or ten meters in the air and land it on a hundred and fifty millimeter wide face of a beam. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was uh, it was one that was one little thing, you know. Obviously, um, just yeah, little idiosyncrasies like that. I think um, uh, understanding that even the storage that we did put, you could double the storage and they'll still use it and still complain they don't have enough storage. So. And I think that just comes down to management and managing expectations. And um, we got some good wins. And and I think generally, you know, walking through the space, there are a couple little things that, you know, scratch, scratch, scratch the brain a bit. But only minor things, not, nothing too crazy. And it, uh, you know, I could take 20 people through it and 20 people wouldn't even notice what I'm looking at. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's usually the way. Just this yeah. weird scientist in me that just glitches. <laughs> But um, and then I stop and say, Rossi, just take a deep breath. Look at the overall outcome. Look, understand this. Understand. They go. You know what? We have a great win here. You know this project. You know did well. The staff and students are smiling, and they can't have enough of it. You know. So and the, uh, and before before I forget as well, the project, yes, worked well with the client group. Uh, work well with the, the government representatives, but I'll be remiss if I didn't say the con- entire consultant team of the project were instrumental as well. Working with like-minded structural engineers that I, I do predominantly a lot of my work with, which is Warwick, Gilbert, Aztec, the team in Darwin are amazing. And uh, it's nice that they love good design outcomes. They love good architecture. So working with that, it was a great opportunity. The mechanical engineers working out innovative ways to manage airflow for different types of sports. You know, badminton versus playing basketball, the airflow rates are different. Yeah, of course, because of the little shuttlecock, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, we've got these vents, these uh, diffuser vents that actually pivot and create a different angle of wow. dispersion. 
So um, they slow down the rate of dispersion and they, they throw it horizontally so that the shuttlecock's not affected too much by the velocity of, a, of an air vent. You know? So that was mm. really important. Because we've got so high ceilings, the electrical engineer and I uh, really push minimal maintenance requirements. So all the lighting comes down on push of a button, all your lights can pull down and replace quite easily. All the you know the, the digital digital touch pads that control all the lighting themes throughout the space are, are quite well tuned and set up. Yeah, so no, it was quite fun um, working out every little design solution, but um, coordinating all those little easy quick wins, you know, and 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 before you know it, it, it doesn't become a a process every time to do to change a light or to fix this or to change that. I think it's all been automated in a way where it, it's quite streamlined. Yeah, so, yeah, big shout out to all the consultants. And yeah, I think that was a, um, a job well deserved for everybody. And uh, I think the, the results are for everybody. Mm, fantastic. When this job was finished and, and everyone seemed to, you know, love it, you know, the, the students, the staff, you know, you guys as well, was there an ongoing benefit between you and the client? I mean, did they come back and ask for more work on this particular school or did they recommend you for work with other schools in the area because there was, you know, there was proof in the pudding of what you guys could achieve? Um, post uh, this development, I have had Marcus on as a referee on my submissions, government and private sector for a while now. Um, he has been a advocate of Rossi Architects since the project and the process. I, I think that's a result of our approach to the project and our our warmth, I believe. I think I, we warmed up to the client group really well and, and provided, you know, hearts on sleeves situations. You know, we want to do the best for our clients. But uh, in terms of follow through for more work we've had discussions uh with us with the school the government has a process of how they procure work out so it's not if um rossi has a great relationship with down middle school he's going to get the job it's it's, it has to go through a fair and robust uh, procurement process with the government but um i think um a follow-on project that may have swung our way i'm not sure was uh the bullocky point landscape master plan which is the oval that bounds both the middle school and the high school together and how those two schools can be linked with covered walkways gardens realignment of the oval the introduction of uh you know mounds and and interactive spaces where the kids can get under a tree on a mound and sit in the shade during a lunch break or a recess break as well as um future car parking and future other amenities around the oval so i think that could have possibly played into the thinking when we tended for that project, that we had the knowledge of the existing um, multi-purpose hall and we already built a relationship with uh, the Darwin Middle School team and then, you know, extending that relationship also with the Darwin High School team as well. So yeah, that was a tricky project on its own because we had, I think, three stakeholders. So we had the, the School of Distance Learning, Darwin High School and Darwin Middle School, which... In all fairness, they've got their own visions, and that's fair enough. You know, everyone's going to have their vision for their school. It was our job to kind of navigate that as well. So, but I think you know, going back to your question, I think um, the Darwin Middle Schools benefited us um, on future projects, whether it was directly or indirectly, Marcus or 
just the uh, the outcome from the project that created a good uh, foundation for our practice. So, absolutely, as you mentioned, that there's a real warmth, you know, between you know, Marcus and yourself on on this project. Were there other benefits to having this great relationship outcome with a particular client? I um, on a personal level, um, I think um, the outcomes uh, beyond architecture was I think we did uh, form a friendship with Marcus and um, I think that it's just a testament to both of our characters that we are warming people and um, and I think that was the first barrier broken instantly once we broke down that barrier I think that was within about five minutes of that meeting the first meeting with us not that every project I want to walk in I want to be best friends with every client but <laughs> not, not in a professional level you know you create that professional uh, warmth and relationship with clients that, you know, you can walk in the street and stop and uh, spin a yarn for half an hour or an hour and then see you later and I'll see you in a couple more months and then the same thing happens again, you know. So that also is a testament to kind of that Darwin ethos, I suppose, the, the territory ethos that um, you can make all these professional connections across uh, Darwin and Northern Territory and then bump into someone and, and then you can spin a yarn for for an hour like nothing had nothing had happened you know do a bit of a catch-up and then run away again so Marcus was uh I think it was a it kind of reinforced my idea of how to be a warming person and then let that kind of bleed into the, my professional life as well I think um not, not all client relationships work like that and I've definitely had some icy cold ones as well don't don't get me wrong <laughs> Um, but I, I always think, you know, there's going to be a good outcome coming, you know, I just got to stick by it, you know, stick to it, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll break them down eventually, you know, so, <laughs> yeah, so and I, 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 I think it comes down, you know, like I grew up in a, in an ethnic family, um, where a big family of 17 first cousins just on my mother's side in Darwin, it was a, it was a very big cohort of loud but warm family members you know so I think um, growing up in that family we always felt it's good to form friendships and it's good to form professional relationships that um, uh, just extend beyond a cold handshake you know so and you know growing up in a family supermarket I did all my teen years in a family supermarket and um, I think I laugh at it because I met a lot of architects that are still practicing today in, the, in Darwin through that supermarket and um, and, and some engineers and all sorts of throughout the, the industry. But one of the ethos that you've got to really know when you're in a a point to point style sales type of situation is you, you always got to put a smile on your face and you always got to show your enthusiasm, you know, because you know they're going to come back tomorrow and buy the milk and newspaper again, you know, and. Uh, and I think that just kind of trickled down and that kind of trickled down in my business acumen of how to run a business as well. So all of that kind of trickled down and it's probably an, an evolution of what I've become. You know? So I think it's um, once you get that going, you're creating an environment for good outcomes or better outcomes. So you get a client to be relaxed and to really divulge their thoughts and just do a big brain dump and feel like they can just be off the cuff and and as I said earlier in the, in the in the chat, I think those little anecdotal conversations are the key throughout 
project just to really pick up on that go you know what maybe you don't actually need that because the way you're talking here is taking us on a different path and then they're not realizing it because maybe they wrote the brief thinking about something else and you know so there's a lot of those layers but i think um the personal connection uh with a the client like Marcus is, uh, has been a, a benefit to us, but um, it's um, it's just a testament to us that we're not just here for today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just, yeah, it sounds like it's been a fantastic process um, working with Marcus and Darwin Middle School. And, yeah, I think off the back of, of developing this amazing relationship that it's not just, um, you know, obviously our architectural acumen is extremely, extremely strong, but like you say, you know, the actual relationship will also help drive that in a really fantastic direction. So thank you so much for, for joining us um, on the Hearing Architecture podcast, Rossi. It was wonderful to hear this story about Darwin Middle School. And, we, yeah, we look forward to seeing more of these projects that you create in the future, and we hope that uh, you and Marcus get to work together again soon. Daniel, it was always a pleasure. I enjoyed, um, as I said before we started recording, architects like talking underwater with rocks in our mouths. And, <laughs> and um, I don't realise now we've already gotten into this and it's an hour in. <laughs> um, it's amazing how quick the time goes go <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> uh, thank you so much and I hope um, I hope uh, everyone enjoys this insight into this project and a little bit of a um, taste of Rossi I suppose <laughs> absolutely definitely yeah. I think everyone will thank you so much thank you cheers This has been Hearing Architecture, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much to our guest in this episode, architect Rossi Karunas, principal of Rossi Architects based in the Northern Territory. Thank you so much for sharing the story of this project and the amazing relationships that were formed during the process. We can't wait to see what amazing projects you create with all your clients in the future. Our sponsor Brickworks also produce architecture podcasts hosted by modernist fanatic and comedian Tim Ross. You can find The Art of Living, Architects Abroad and The Power of Two at brickworks.com.au or your favourite podcast platform. The more support we get from you, the more episodes we get to make. So if you'd like to show your support, please rate, review and subscribe to Hearing Architecture in your favourite podcast app. If you want to know more about what the Australian Institute of Architects is doing to support architects and the community, please visit architecture.com.au. This is a production by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. The Institute production team was Madeline Jenkins and Claudia McCarthy and the Imagine production team was Mark Pillar. Written and directed by Daniel Moore. This content is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Architects, Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. This content does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. This content does not constitute legal, financial, insurance or other types of advice. You should seek independent verification of advice before relying on this content in circumstances where loss or damage may result. The Institute endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or will become inaccurate over time.